Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to the Net Worth Podcast, where we talk about all things WTA and handicap the WTA. I'm Noops, and joining me as always from a little bit closer than normal in sunny Sacramento is Spread Astaire. How's it going, bud? Man, I'm doing great, but you know, it's a little odd. Usually I'm used to being in the most uh, temperate, nice weathered, beautiful location, and now uh, you've definitely got me beat today. I am in sunny Leadville, Cal- or maybe Leadville, Colorado. I don't know. I think it's Leadville. But yeah, it's like 75 and perfectly sunny, and there's nothing but gorgeous mountains to look out, and we're going to go hike one of them tomorrow. So um, it's been a lot of fun. But unfortunately, it's just the two of us. Our buddy Jorge has uh, probably had a little too much to drink and hasn't got back to the cottage from the uh, cottage quite yet. So he's been enjoying, I think, his good Wimbledon performance. But let's dive into the last couple weeks i know we had the check-in midway um what i thought was a good idea spread let's try to go through kind of each quarter here and talk a little bit about what happened and starting at the very top ashley barty loses to allison risk in three sets three six six two six three i'm not sure if you got a chance to watch that i'm sure you did at some point or even went back and looked at it but it was really interesting to watch Barty crumble. Um, at some point, the match just turned because she came out. She was playing great tennis. She was hitting with a ton of a slice. Her serve was on. And then, you know, Risk kind of hit her a couple times, and she really didn't know how to handle that. What did you think of that match? Yeah, I think that was just the uh, cumulative uh, cumulate nature of uh, how much Barty's tennis is tennis Barty's been playing and it just kind of ran out on her I mean how many days in a row can you be perfect and she was cruising through the earlier rounds looked like she was cruising through the first set and then um I don't know I don't know if it was physical fatigue or maybe some mental fatigue there finally going against someone that uh you know had the same grass court pedigree and the same grass game uh I think it was more mental fatigue personally but uh I think Allison Risk really kind of you know, showed herself well here this tournament. She did a great job advancing in what uh, we consider to be a very tough area. And she was able to come out of that. And she quitted herself very well against Serena Williams, too. So a uh, good match and a good tournament for Risk overall. Really impressive. And, you know, have to make sure we remember that name next year come grass season. Really comfortable on the grass. And, well, you know, what I was thinking is we'll have to remember her on the quicker indoors if she decides to travel over... Uh, on the Asian swing, you know, when we have those quicker indoors like uh, Tokyo, I think, on top of my head, and, and Singapore, and some of them play fast. So uh, keep an eye on her for the quicker indoors as well. So I was going to ask you, what about her game works so well on grass? I know when we talk about grass, we talk about, you know, having a good serve, being able to generate a lot of slice, and, and being good at the net. Is, is there anything else that Allison Riss does, or, or what about those three things that she does so well that, that makes her so successful? Because when you look at her performances on grass, it's infinitely better than anything she's ever done on clay or hard courts or any other surface. I think that she's really comfortable in that lower hitting zone, and the fact that the ball doesn't bounce as much, it doesn't bother her at all, and she's just quite comfortable hitting the ball low and is able to do whatever, uh, whatever she wants with it, where some other players like having the ball uh, you know, higher in their hitting zone. But since she kind of excels lower in the hitting zone or strike zone, to use a baseball analogy, uh, she's able to translate that into success. Great match against Serena Williams, three sets. What did you think about Serena's tournament? You know, We've obviously already all seen the final where Simona Halep just – um, you know, from my perspective, what I saw was uh, Serena Williams came out a little bit slow, maybe a little bit not quite ready for, for that match. And Simona Halep was in the exact opposite position. She had a plan and a ton of energy and, and was just, 
I don't know about you, but that's some of the best tennis I've ever seen from from anybody, um, you know, let alone a woman in the WTA. So, you know, before we get to Halep and her incredible tournament, what did you think about Serena, um, her performance? You know, why do you think she failed in that final? And, and what do you think about her going forward? Because um, I know there's been a little bit of talk of maybe looking at jumping on her for the U.S. Open. Um, our one buddy, GB, um, let me find his handle, actually already tweeted out to do that. And I, I GB underscore 10. That's right. It's uh, yeah, underscore GB10 underscore a really great follow for tennis. Um, but he po- pointed out, you know, get in your Serena futures for the U.S. Open because I was pretty optimistic about her performance. And I think maybe this is the challenge he needs to focus on getting into tip top shape and, and really being a great tennis player. What do you think? Well, uh, you know, not you know, obviously we record here on the Networth Pod, but I enjoy listening to a ton of tennis podcasts, and I was listening to the tennis podcast yesterday with uh, Whitaker and Law, and they were ascribing Serena's loss to her being um, nerves and and mental and things of that nature, and I, you know, boy, if you know, you could call in, or if I was on that pod, I I've, I disagree a lot. I think it was the um, I think it was all credit to Simona, and I think it was just the jumping competition. You know, going in, it was almost the same as last year. The the, the only player in the top 30 she had beaten it was Gorgas. She was able to cruise past these players, and uh, when she went up up against Simona, who's you know, um, you know, it's kind of funny. She was the default number one pretty much in our minds the whole time that Serena was gone until Osaka's ascent. So you get a player, you know, in that top five caliber and. A player that's as consistent, and now this is new and mentally tough as Simona Halep. Um, you really, uh, I think that really, you know, it just shows more how uh, how nice the draw was to Serena going in. You know, um, Stritsova is a wonderful player, but she has nowhere the speed of Halep. And when you just keep getting those balls back and just keep making her work, I think that's the strategy to beat her. Kerber showed it last year, and uh, Halep executed it even better. All right, we'll talk more about Halep in a little bit and make sure we give her plenty of shine for her great All tournament. Right. But you know, looking at that second quarter, I'm going to take a, a moment to brag here. Barbara Stritzova, baby, 40-1, to 1, takes the quarter. Um, a really good bet for anybody that followed. Hopefully everybody got a little piece of that. That was a lot of fun. Um, this quarter was an interesting, interesting mess. Petra Kvitova came out, played some really nice tennis, um, actually looked a lot healthier than you know she maybe had led on to believe. Joe Conta, I thought, acquitted herself pretty nicely here. I was surprised, though, that she lost in two sets to Stritzova. I'm, I'm going to be honest, I was pretty nervous in that match. Um, Kiki Burton's, Kiki Burton's all over the place. Um, what did you pull away from kind of this group of players? Again, Kiki Burton, Stritzova, Merton, Sloan Stevens was in here, Kanta, Kvitova, um, and Stritzova. What did you think about, you know, any thoughts on that group of ladies? Uh, my two biggest mysteries of the tournament happened in this quarter. The first one was Kanta beating Kvitova. I thought that the way Kvitova was playing, you know, she didn't really have any signs of the injury that we had uh, talked about on the original preview. I had mentioned that I was, re- you know, really impressed by her going into the um, going, you know, in the midweek one, and Conta Kvitova was one of the ones that we were looking at, and Conta came out and just played great, and she won, and she didn't win easily. It wasn't like Kvitova played bad; she played very, very tough on the uh, on the big points. So from there, I'm thinking, okay, well, Stritzova, you know, beat um, Mertens, and that was a tough one. And I thought the way that Conta won, I was so impressed. So I'm thinking, okay, boy, Conta's really going to make. The semis here. This is going to be a fantastic story for everyone. And then Stritzova really used guile, and I really think that she used her head and just proved that she was the smarter, more experienced player in the way that she played. And 
you know, that was the other one that really surprised me. So hats off to you. I know you had mentioned her before the tournament, and I completely dismissed you, and I was wrong. Um, I thought Stritzova was past it, but it seems to me that she was able to find uh, her form of like three to four years ago when she was really rolling. So that's going to be something to keep uh, keep an eye on now because, you know, that time I think it was okay for me to dismiss her, but if I were to do it again, I think that would be a grave mistake. So I'm definitely going to have to change the way that I'm handicapping her matches. Well, I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on the Streets of a Love. I think that this tournament sets up really nicely for a player like her. She has some great success on grass. She's a really intelligent player. She um, plays a lot of doubles, so is very good at the net. You know, generates a ton of slice. Very good. And, yeah. you know, she doesn't have a powerful serve, but it is pretty accurate. So I think the extra little bit of speed on grass even takes that serve and makes it a little better. And and most importantly of all, like you said, she's a tour veteran. She's done this a bunch of times. And, and Wimbledon can be a really scary place. And I think we saw that a lot with some of the younger players this week. You know, when you look at the field and you look at who advanced, it's older, more experienced players. And I think that's something that I'm certainly going to be keeping in mind next year when we're, when we're breaking down next year's field. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how much we'll take results from this year into next year's handicap. Um, one thing to keep an eye on was the the speed of the grass. I know like some people in Jorge dismissed it in our midweek show, but uh, I really think it did play a factor. And I think that it worked to her advantage, not being one of the more faster athletic players. I think that she was able to, to use the extra time and then take advantage of it. So, um, yeah. Okay, so we'll see how we're doing it going forward. But I'm just saying i got to really be careful uh, still keeping that in mind, although we are going to pump the brakes a little. i got to keep in mind that I you know, wasn't handicapping her correctly, and she can find that old form. Yeah, I'm excited to see how she looks. But, you know, just keep in mind once we start to change the surfaces and we go back to some of these smaller tournaments. Um, but let's dive into the third quarter. And since Jorge's not here to defend her, Alina Svitolina, the luckiest player on planet Earth, oh, wow. uh, gets, the ama- gets, <laughs> gets the injury from Margarita, Margarita Gasparian in a match she was almost certainly going to lose. Um, ends up going through. You know, she did play a great match against Sakri. She did play a great match against Martich. I was very, very impressed by those. Um, the match with Muchova was a lot of fun. Um, actually, I think Carolina Muchova is one of the players that we're going to remember from this run, and I'm excited for her. You know, the way you talk about Stritzova and how we have to, you know, you're going to think about her going forward. I feel ten times that good about uh, Muchova and her game. But yeah, we um, were I, we were talking about her though. We had kind of said that she was, you know, underrated, and I th- I didn't think that w- I felt as surprised by her. Um, you know, it's she played great tennis. If you look at these match results, you know, pretty much took care of everybody in two sets. Took Pliskova to the absolute you know, death of, you know, I, I think that match with Pushkova, the three-setter that, you know, finishes 13-11. Um, we almost had the first 12-12 tiebreaker in Wimbledon history during that match. But, um, you know, I think those three sets really took all the wind out of, out of you know, you know, to get that win over Pushkova, that was incredible. Um, it took a lot of the wind out of her and even still played really well against Fidelina. So, you know, I'm excited to see what she has for the rest of the year now. You know, what did you think about Pushkova when we talked about her at the beginning of the tournament? I think even, you know, on that check-in for the Monday podcast, we kind of reaffirmed that this was as good of a chance as she'll, I think she'll ever have. The draw really opened up nicely for her, you know. Um, so what do you think about Carolina Pushkova? What, you know, do you think she's ever going to win a Grand Slam? Uh, right now I would say no. Um, you know, she's had a bunch of chances and just the way that everything sets up for her. I don't know, maybe at the U.S. Open if it plays a little slower. 
She might have a shot if the draw opens up, but with the depth of the WTA right now, and I know she's in the top 10, but the difference between the top 10 and the top 30 when you're handicapping an individual match right now is very slight. So uh, as of right now, I'd say no, but this is the WTA and anything can happen. It's really disappointing. Um, you know, I don't want to say she can't do it, but I continue to be pessimistic about her ability to really, you know, be gritty in, in these moments and I mean, really be able did, to come through. I mean, if she did, which one would you think she would win? I, I would think it would have to be Wimbledon, unless you know the U.S. Open or I the Australian Open changes in some way. So I think what? it's the U.S. Open. Interesting. She's just not fast. She just can't get to the ball. Like I think, even though she hits hard and she's got the big serve, the slower surfaces help her more. It's just because it, it makes up for her lack of, of foot speed. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I guess if it has to be that or the Australian, then you know I really do question her ability. Um, you know, any other thoughts? Just look at some of the names here. Um, Von Drusova, um, your girl, Helena Ostapenko, um, didn't look too great against Suwei Shea. No. Um, that was pretty disappointing. Contivate uh, is in here. Martich played some pretty great tennis before hitting Svitolina. Um, any other thoughts here on this third quarter before we jumped out of the fourth quarter and uh, give some real dap to Simona Halep? Well, yeah, let, and we'll just go on that from right there. Um I want to talk about the Halep Svitolina match, and I just kind of want to get your input on what you saw there um, from a really, uh, I don't know, just what did you think about that match overall? I was really surprised it was as uh, the wide of margin as it was. So I know it's rude to answer a question with a question, but what does Alina Svitolina do better than Simona Halep? Is there anything on a tennis court that Alina Svitolina does better than Simona Halep does? Mm, she's better at the net. Um, her court coverage is pretty dang close to the same, and ah, boy, maybe yeah, a, maybe he, on mid-range balls. You understand what I'm saying at this point? Then, um, you know, I think about Simona Halep. I think about Alina Svitolina, and what I see is, you know, two players on the same spectrum of a player, and I just think of Simona Halep as a much better version of, of Svitolina, really, at the end of the day. I think you're right. I think Svitolina is better at the net, and I actually think, you know, between the ears, Svitolina is a little tougher, um, a little grittier. Um, I think, you know, people always talk about how she gets knocked out and slams, but I, I really think at the end of the day, she always runs into somebody who's just a little bit better than she is. Um, but I always give her a lot of credit for how, how smart and strong she is. But at the end of the day, Hallett probably has a better serve. She moves just as well, if not better, as Finalina does. Um, pretty good about point construction and, you know, being locked in. And, you know, I, so at the end of the day, that, that's kind of what I think. You know, Alina Finalina is a really nice tennis player. But at the end of the day, she's always going to run into somebody that, you know, is either a slightly better version of what she does or has the tools or the power to really overwhelm her. Yeah, well, I also think she could be a little better strategically. And it's funny because you would say, oh, well, does she do this better? She does it that better. You know, if we were going to do it like on the old like Madden styles or 2K ratings, you know, Simona's like a 96 on movement. Like Svitolina would be like a 94. If uh, Simona's, you know, 95 on consistency, Svitolina would be a 93. So even though she might not be better, she's very, very close and very, very comparable. And if you look there, head-to-heads favor Svitolina a lot and – uh Jorge and I had kind of speculated that it was because Simona can't hit through Svitolina and Svitolina was able to get comfortable. But, you know, Simona used the fast grass. She was a little more aggressive than usual. And so she was able to use that to her advantage. But uh, I also think there are different places in their career right now. So, you know, if they were to play again at the U.S. Open and Svitolina had kind of shown that she had got some health back, you know, I might even favor Svitolina again. I, I favor Svitolina in that match. You know, I was wrong. But, uh 
I don't necessarily think that that Simona is that much better than than Svitolina, but the two Grand Slams would uh, would would suggest otherwise, wouldn't they? They would. And, and before we jump into full-on Simona Halep love, um, just running through some of the names here. We had Buzarnescu, Azarenka, Madison Keys was in this quarter. Uh, my very favorite, Rina Sabalenka, got sl- absolutely slashed to death by Roy Barakova. That was just sad to watch. Um, Wozniacki actually played some decent tennis. Oh, but hold on. Let's talk about actually the most bizarre <laughs> and surprising thing. And I will start with this. And I, I don't know if I tweeted this or not, but... At any point in your life, if you think that you understand tennis and the WTA and what's good and what's bad, I want you to remember 2019, the year in which Joe Conta won more points on clay in that year than she has ever in her entire career combined, and the year that Shuai Zhang made the quarterfinals at Wimbledon. What on earth happened, Spread? Do you have any idea? I mean, it's not like she got an easy draw or, you know... She kind of lucked into it. She beat Caroline Garcia, a very fine, talented player in the first round. Beat Wickmeyer in the second. Then, uh, you know, Wozniacki was playing pretty well. And then beat Yastrzemska. Beat Wozniacki 6-4-6-2. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I just, can you think of anything? Did you get a chance to watch some of her matches? I, I'm just struggling with. You know, a player that I think of as a pretty good kind of hard court player. She's generally pretty underrated. I'd like to bet her um, on the underdog spread when we get to those hard court tournaments. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, she's going to be one of our favorites here in about two months, right? But what do you think about her game in terms of, you know, grass and, and, and how she's, you know, really excelled and, again, beat some really good players? Um, Caroline Garcia is great. I mean, and grass is one of her best services. Now she's Caroline Garcia, and Lord only knows what, what is going on in between her ears, but. Wickmeyer, a solid grass player with a lot of experience. Wozniacki, a great grass player um, with a lot of experience at this event and just, you know, comfortably beat beat each one of them. I mean, Yastremska took a set off her, but, God, she cruised. Um, you know, did you get a chance to watch any of those matches? What did you see about her game that was really working this last couple of weeks? So my guess, is, and like I said, this is still unexplainable, so we're just, you know, trying to figure out, you know, inexplicable, the unknown. But uh, it seemed to me that she was using the combination of her ability to be consistent and uh, the moment, you know, putting pressure on her opponents, not just by getting every ball back, but also by understanding there at Wimbledon, she didn't really have, you know, the pressure was on them. She was going to just keep hitting the ball back and, uh, you know, forcing the opponent to beat her. And, and none of them were, uh, were able to. So It's unbelievable. And again, like I said, anytime you think, you know what's going on. I want you to remember those two things. All right, are you ready yeah, for some? No, ha- huh? Are you ready for some jalapeno love? We got to do it. It's time for the uh, section of the the Simona Halep praise section. Two sets to nothing over Sasnovich wins a tough three set battle over her fellow countrywoman Buzarnescu. Smokes Azarenka six three six one. I watched that match. She wow. smoked her. She yeah, beat the Azarenka absolute pants off of her. Well. Right. Uh, Coco Goff, everyone's darling, beat her 6-3, 6-3. And, uh, you know, from watching that match, I'm surprised that score was that close. Then she beat the uh, absolutely incredible Shuai Zhang, 6-7-6-6-1. You know, went into Svitolina. I watched that Svitolina match. I I didn't think I could ever see her play better tennis than that. And then she gets to the final. Um, And absolutely overwhelmed Serena Williams. I talked about it a little bit before, but... Her ability to get to every single ball, and you know, it's tough watching that match to 
to think about how much of that is skill and how much of that is luck when she's hitting those you know cross court passing shots where she's just kind of looking at the ball running literally into like the side of the stadium and just swings her arms across and hits the thing and it's exactly perfectly over the net drives down hits hits the chalk I mean it was I don't know I can't think of anyone I've ever seen play better tennis than that what did you think of Serena Halep's Fortnite spread uh, Simona Halep, <laughs> Serena Halep would be the most consistent, powerful player ever. Yeah, Simona but, uh, Halep, not Serena <laughs> Halep. My apologies. No, I'm glad you mentioned all the matches because I think the, you know, the end performance is, is going to outweigh, you know, that seventh match is going to outweigh the first six. But she just looked fantastic all week. And, you know, talk about thinking we know stuff and, and being able to eat our words. Boy, you know, did I did I kind of make fun of Simona Halep for saying that they were focused on Wimbledon this year, but did she prove that whatever she did there by blowing off the French Open and focusing on this uh, was was the way to go? Because you know we have Ash Barty, the the uh, grass court specialist, winning the French Open, and now Simona Halep, the clay court specialist, winning uh, Wimbledon. Boy, anything can happen here in the WTA, but Simona played great, and you just got to give her all the credit. And if she can stay healthy, boy, this is going to be. Uh, Real interesting to see when we get back on Osaka's favorite surface, the hard courts, uh, over in, in on our continent and see how she does. So this could make up for a nice little rivalry uh, this summer between either Osaka, Simona, and Serena. I see those as kind of the, the three that will be not you know vying for our attention in the top billing of all these tournaments this summer. So before I take a second to brag, um, is that your top three right now? or that is, is that the, the big three of women's tennis? Is that your top tier? For winning these hardcore tournaments coming up, yes, just for the, yeah, so. just for the rest of the year. Okay, all right. So that that's a good little stake to put in the ground. But I'll take a second to brag a little bit. Unfortunately, I hedged in the final like an idiot. Um, Simona Halep. Well, I don't tw- think it's hedging like an idiot. You know, <laughs> I mean, she was twenty. Hedging she was today in Federer. It could have been. I should have hedged today. So. <laughs> oh, actually, we'll get to that in just a little bit. I know we it's will. a women's tennis we podcast, will. but we want to touch on that just a bit because. Spread has some thoughts, and he really yep. needs to share. But, um, you know, Halep was 20-1. to 1, I got it, Nitrogen, before the tournament. It's beyond me that, that she would ever not be one of the top five favorites to win any tournament on any surface. She's proven herself to be, as far as I'm concerned, all around one of, if not the best tennis players. You know, if you were to make, like you said, that kind of Madden-style rating, uh, can you think of anything she would have less than, you know, maybe an 80 or 85, like a BB plus? Second serve? Uh, everything. Second all, serve whole game. and volleying would probably be the weakest. Yeah. And, but they'd still be in the mid-80s. Right, 80, that's what I mean. 82, 84, you know. Which actually is funny. It's about her second serve speed is 84 miles per hour average. But There you go. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know that for sure, but that would be my guess. So it was an excellent opportunity to get a player of that quality. Um, any more thoughts on the ladies' side before we talk a little bit about um, how the men's final went and specifically you know, the rules and how we feel about that? No, I thought it was a, a really fun tournament overall. And, um, yeah, I think that it, it definitely uh, delivered as far as drama and uh, obviously uh, excitement and, and upsets and suspense. Excellent. So let's talk about the men's final. Not quite a breakdown of the match. It was incredible. It was five sets. It was everything you could ever want from a tennis match, in my opinion. Um, But let's talk about the fifth set. So we get down to the fifth set. Um, Djokovic and Federer taking turns holding. They did have a brief moment. Uh, I think it was at 8-7. Federer broke, or 7-7. Federer broke Djokovic and then was unable to consolidate there to win the match. But you, know, you get to 12-12 and you head into that tiebreaker. And 
I, you know, I'll actually start with this. How do you feel about tiebreakers, Fred? What is your thought about them? Should that be a thing in tennis, or, or should we just keep playing? You know, what do you think about tiebreakers? Well, obviously, in the, in the non-deciding sets, tiebreakers are completely necessary. I have no problem for them in the first four. And I think today it could have just been uh, – and first of all, you know, full disclosure, I was on Federer. I had Federer futures from the beginning of the tournament, and I had parlayed – him and Simona, so I was rooting for him. So full disclosure on that. But I did feel that the ending was was pretty abrupt, and I don't think that it really um, gave us the satisfaction of you know how a match of this magnitude. And it's funny because I didn't think it was necessarily the best played match, but it was so entertaining to watch and so enjoyable. Um, it just f- felt like it was kind of abrupt, and I, you know, I, I for the first year of the rule for it to come in and in such a uh, you know, in the spotlight, you know, boy, let's see how much they've really changed this tournament because of John Isner going, you know, 22 games or Kevin Anderson going 24 games. Um, I don't know. I, I, I didn't like it at all. I thought it was really abrupt, and I thought that it gave the advantage. Uh, it takes it away because usually I'd say Wimbledon, the server has the advantage, but I think in tie breaks, the returner has the advantage, and I thought it kind of shifted the advantage to Novak um, and made it, uh, you know, the – the denouement or the, the ending was, was less satisfying than I would have hoped. It was pretty disappointing. Um, you know, tie breaks are tough. At some point, you have to, uh, you know, get to a logical conclusion or we could end up at a point where it's like a cricket match where we're just going for days playing tennis back and forth. Um, but in the final, would that be that bad? If they, I think that, you know, if I guess, I mean, personally, tinker, I, I, yeah. just take it out of the final. If this was the semifinal, I'd understand. You know, if Rafa was sitting there waiting for him, you know, in the final, it's like, okay, we don't want to play till 26-24. But for the final, they got to get rid of that on both sides, men's and women. I think the women would be, you know, since they don't hold as often, would be less likely to get there. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, if you want to tinker with what you saw, I think that you should just take it out of the final. I think that's a really fair point, actually, that you would take it out of the final. I like that idea a lot because you're right. When you get to that match, that's it. That's the end all. That's the be all. So I think you're dead on dead on there. So any other thoughts on Wimbledon before we jump into clay tennis for some reason? <laughs> I know. Isn't this going to be weird? Uh, no, it was a great tournament overall. You know, it's really one of my favorites just probably from a kid. You know, they only showed three of them on TV when I was a kid. So uh, it was always right in the middle of summer, 4th of July. And I think it lived up to expectations this year. So what was it like, um, you know, they only showed three, you said. I mean, were they still delivering mail by donkey? Oh, back then when I would get the results on Telegraph? Well, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. It was uh, <laughs> Rob times, Labor, when Rob times Labor was were tough. Well, we were all excited. <laughs> all right, well, we're jumping into, we got two tournaments this week in Bucharest and Lusain, and I apologize to everyone in Lusain if that's not how you say it, but I'm going to move forward with that pronunciation because Jorge's not here, and he's the one who's supposed to correct all and, this stuff. And to be fair, you didn't even know how to pronounce the American city in Colorado that you're in, so uh, this is yeah, running right. thing you're not, I, you're not I'm generally bad at pronouncing things. Yeah, right. This is not, I'm not trying to offend anyone. Right. Um, so before we jump into it, just as a, at a very high level, um, somebody asked me on Twitter today, um, one of my good buddies, Sharp Selections, you can find him at SharpMinds247, um, post some tennis, post a lot of soccer. Um, his golf has actually been pretty solid, but a really nice guy and asked me a question that I thought was pretty interesting. You know, we're going from grass back into clay. As a handicapper, what are your thoughts about that situation? Because that is a huge switch in surfaces. Yeah, well, I told you before, 
I kind of always treated this week as like a bye week. I think it's kind of an odd time. I think the clay court specialists are trying to rack up their points right now, but everyone else is kind of getting ready for the hard courts. And I don't know what going to another tournament in Europe does, you know, playing uh, Bucharest or in Switzerland helps you to get ready for the hard court season. So it seems to me these are the players that know they're stronger on clay, trying to grab some points because they're, you know, not sure if they can do it on the on the hard courts this summer, so it'd be a good chance for them to rack up some points right away. Yeah, it is. It's, it's such an interesting switch, and so you have to combine this also with the idea that it's the week after a Grand Slam, so you have all that goofy stuff to deal with. How, how do you feel about the weeks after Grand Slams? Um, you know, do you have any general thoughts around? Top players tend to maybe slough off, maybe people who made a long run, which I don't actually see too many in the field this week, or, or maybe somebody who had a short Wimbledon. So we're going to talk about Caroline Garcia a little bit. We'll start with Bucharest, actually. Um, but when we get to Lusain, we'll talk about her, who you know, lost her first-round match at, at, at Wimbledon. You know, What do you think about the week after a slam? How does that enter your your? Well, let me go ahead and do that horrible thing we did earlier by answering questions with questions. So, uh, and I'm still, you know, I was thinking about it a lot. Which is tougher? Which one do you think is tougher? The week before the slam or the week after a slam? That's really interesting. Um, I think the week before the slam is actually tougher. I'd have to go back and look at some results and, and maybe I'll do that at some point so we can talk about that during the off season. I think that'll be maybe an interesting, we'll put a pin in that for an off season pod. Um, yeah, off the top of my head, I'm thinking the week before because you have those big-name players and you don't know if they're going to just tank out, you know, in the quarters of the semis and they just want to get a couple matches in and then call it quits. But this one's still rough, too, because I think the same idea kind of applies. Like, if Sevastova gets a couple wins in, she'll, you know, gotten close to 75, 100 points, that's cool. Do you think she's just going to pack it in and start getting ready to come over here? Because, you know, I see a lot of players – you know, some of them like, oh, it makes sense that Danzig will try and get as many points as she could here. You know, some other players, let me scroll down here. You know, uh, Ajakupovic, um, you know, Kirstea. There's certain players that, that seem like, okay, this would be a good chance. Siegman would be a good chance for her to, uh, you know, grab as many points as they can. But some of them, I'm almost thinking if they're just trying to get 75, 100 points and then, you know, get over get over to the States, get over here and start playing on these hard courts and getting ready for this U.S. Open swing. So I think that the hardest part about this, and especially, um, you know, it's funny because I, I do it more off field and you use the numbers, you know, you're a little more true to the numbers. But I think this is a week where I think the numbers might be fallible because it's going to, I don't know how you, you really uh, cap motivation here unless you can, re, you know, unless you're really uh, scrolling the Instagram or, or getting players that are on site, you know, people that are on site at the tournament with inside knowledge of how hard these, uh, how hard these players are going to try and how serious they're taking this week's tournament. I think this, my opinion on, on these thoughts in general, you know, oh, we have to handicap the week before a major and the week after a slam and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that all comes down to it's a long season of tennis. And I think over the course of the season, whether or not, you know, unless you're one of those people that for some reason has yourself totally plugged in to what's going on and the motivation of these players, you know, you just have to assume that this is their job. There's money at stake. They're all going to come out and they're all going to play their best tennis unless something else has kind of happened. But, you know, I try to in these in the week these weeks, they're never, you know, it's never a bad decision to bet less money. These are great weeks to make that decision. Um, and I kind of approach it from that angle. But you know, Yeah, and I don't think that any player goes out and says, okay, I've got far enough. 
you know, before the match. I got far enough. I don't, you know, I don't really care if I win today. But I think when it's 4-1, 5-1 at the end of the first set, they start thinking, well, is this tournament that important? You know, now I can take my flight a little earlier, get adjusted to the new time zone. I just, I think that it comes into play more during the match and how they handle adversity and you know, how, dig the, uh, how deep they really want to dig for some of these matches. And I think it's very, very hard to quantify. Totally agree. All right. Any other thoughts? Are you ready to jump into next week? Yeah, I mean, we can have some fun with it. I don't think that just because this is uh, what I think is one of the harder weeks to cap that we shouldn't at least throw 10 or 20 bucks on some outrights here. And, uh, you know, maybe if I win a couple of these, it'll completely change my view on it. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's get started. All right, we'll start with Bucharest. And uh, since we have smaller tournaments, we'll kind of do top half, bottom half here instead of breaking down each quarter. So top half here spread, we've got Sevastova, Jorovic, who's a really good clay player. Uh, Bethany Maddox-Sands is playing singles. Isn't that fun? Pliskova, <laughs> Pliskova the lesser. We have a fantastic first-round match to Danzig uh, playing Juven, who we'll talk about that match specifically a little bit later, but that'll be a lot of fun. Um, Krunic is in here. Aura Burena, who had a great clay season um, in some of the South American events. And the tennis player formerly known as Laura Siegmund. Uh, what do you think about this top half? Who do you think comes out? Um, do any names stand out? Yeah, you mentioned Laura Siegman. I think she's got a nice little spot here. Uh, I think that this is a tournament that she would think, you know, she needs these points. Um, her game is definitely uh, suited towards the conditions. And I think that, uh, she, like, for example, the other one that we liked here was the Danzig. I think she has a little easier starting draw with... Uh, well, I'll butcher the name, Kalina, Arab Arena, and the qualifier that will jump in there. So other than pronouncing these, pronouncing the names of her opponents, I think that she's got an easier, uh, easier path here. I, I totally agree. Zdancic was the name that I had circled. I really like her draw. Her toughest match is going to be her first match against Kaha Hooven, a really fantastic young player that has a lot of skills um, that really translate well in the clay. But I think that Zdancic has you know, just as many talents and skills in those areas and a little more experience so i'm gonna put a little money on her i'm seeing her at 12 to 1 i think i'm just gonna put maybe a quarter unit on that because i wish it was like 15 to 1 but i think she's in a really good spot i may put half a unit well i'll end up seeing what i tweet um but i, I like Zedantic here i think she's in a really good spot um it's a it's a pretty good draw for her and i like her to come out of this top half yeah i, I, I wish... think an informed krunik can give her trouble but krunik's only informed like 20 percent of the time so she has been playing some really rough tennis, so I totally agree she, with you there. But there's times you tune in, especially when I'm fading her, and you know she just plays great, and she can knock off a couple matches and played her like kind of like not necessarily her old form, but you know the best of her potential, and just um, you know just haven't seen it very often this year. All right, so we got Zdancic and Siegman there in the top half. Looking at the bottom, I see Balsova here. Um, Krejcikova's playing singles for some reason. Lepchenko, Kudermatova, one of our very favorites. Unfortunately, Jorge isn't here to cheer for her. Uh, Serona Cerstia, one of our favorite players to watch. Uh, Paula Bedosa, who's been very kind to me. Elena Rybakina, who's been great on the clay this year. And Victoria Kuzmova, who we enjoy very much. So who do you have coming out of the bottom half of the draw here? And do you see any value in the outright market? Man, I guess if Jorge was here, he'd have give us a Cooter Zidanzic final, right? That's what I'm thinking that he would do. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, I. I guess I like Kuzmova coming out of here. I de- I'm not going to place it out right on the bottom quarter. I'm going to um, play Siegman and call it a day. But um, could be interesting. But I, 
I don't know. I, I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these big names didn't even win their first-round matches. I think you're right. This is an interesting half. There's a lot of fun names here, but the one that stands out to me is actually Elena Rybakina from mm. Russia. Um, yeah. Let me just pull up some of her numbers. In the last couple of years on clay, she's looking at a whole break of like 114, which is well above anybody that sits down in this half. She's at 20 to 1 to win the tournament. Um, you know, Bedosa will give her maybe a challenge in the first round, but um, I expect her to win that match. Then you see Cersei. She should beat her with no problem. And then she's looking at maybe Kuzmova, maybe Djokovic, who isn't you know, the most at home on this surface, and then maybe Kudermertova. But at 20 to 1, I think we're in a really good spot. So I'm going to grab some Rybakina at 20 to 1. Sounds like a plan. I'll wish you luck on that, unless she goes up against Sigmund. Sounds wonderful. Let's look at some first-round <laughs> matches. Hey, real quick, do you think Jakupovic has a chance here, or how have her numbers been looking? Because I think of her as a clay quarter, but I think we went over this before, and her numbers didn't really back up what my mind or my eyes had seen. Yeah, the hold break's only around 97, yeah. and generally you're looking for something at least in the 100 to 105 range. Yeah. You know, 110 is fantastic. Um, yeah. But 97 is is you know average to below average. But well, at least I remembered that. It's a great segue into this first round match. She is plus 300 and plus five games against Victoria Kuzmova. Now going back to some of those numbers again, like I said, Jakupovic 97 percent hold break percentage. You know, meaning that when you take the percentage of games that she holds and the percentage of games she's able to win on breaks, you know, it adds up to 97 percent of the of the games. Kuzmova actually only at 96, so I'm shocked to see this price here. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, if we're just picking out our brackets and we're picking our winners with no odds, I, I put Kuzmova to advance, but if you're gambling here, this is obviously Djokovic or no pass. I think plus 300 offers some of the better value of the first round here in this tournament. I like it. I'm going to sprinkle on plus 300 here, and I'm actually yeah. going to take some plus 5. I think that that's a really nice spread. Um, I don't know why. That should be, gosh, like, I don't know. What would you make that line? I think I have it maybe plus 150. Yeah, like, I don't like plus 185. Yeah, that's wild. Um, looking through the rest of the first round here, you know, we've got Balsova playing flank. Balsova's a, a slight favorite. That probably makes sense. You know, stop yeah. me if I'm saying anything goofy. Siegmund's minus three and a half games. That's not too bad. You know, if she's playing her best tennis, she'd be able to beat Kalanina. Kalaninina. Oh, God. That was terrible. Uh, <laughs> Bedosa, a slight dog to Rybakina. I talked about that a little bit. I like Rybakina to advance there. Um, but since I'll take the outright, I'll probably pass in the first round match. We talked about Sedancic Juven. Um, that match is pretty much straight up at this point. I'm seeing minus 10 both way. What do you think about that match? I think it's definitely the best match from a fan perspective in the first round. And Juvan's really had a nice summer and kind of introduced herself for Zidanzik, although we might have been overrating here on this pod because this has almost turned into a, a Zidanzik fan club here at some points during the clay court season. But um, she hasn't really lived up to her normal expectations and isn't having as good a year uh, statistically as she did the last couple of years. So, um, you know, Zidanzik still has the uh, game. She's still got the experience, but, you know, I think Yuvon's worth a look here. Yeah, um, it's going to be tough for me. You know, again, I, I'm going back and forth on the Zidancic future here. Yeah. I think she has a great chance to win this tournament, but this is her toughest match. I'm going to do a little deep dive probably on Yuvon and, and see how I feel, but I think I'll probably, you know, take Zidancic on the outright as opposed to just taking the minus 110 here. Yeah, she's got. A, she's got. I think she got one of the toughest draws of uh, any of the players that we would consider backing here in this tournament. 
Bethany Maddox Sands, a big dog to Bonaventure, which is weird since we're on clay, but neither of them are very good, so I, I can't get anywhere near this. Savastava, a pretty decent favorite over Bogdan, who struggled on clay. Yeah. Um, sounds like a great pass. Begu Krunic is, is also straight up, minus 110. Two pretty solid clay players there. What do you think about that match? Uh, I think that Krunic's numbers are kind of skewed by she that plays really good or really bad, so I, I wouldn't want to get near it. I'd like to talk about Savasova real quick, and I think she's one of the ones that we're, we're thinking of when we don't know exactly how much to, um, you know, gauge how much she's trying. If we had the same field and, and you know, we knew this tournament was worth 1,000 points and everyone circled it on their, on their calendar, Savasova would have a very, very nice... Uh, draw here and we'd probably be favoring her but it's i just not sure that we'll get 100 percent the whole week out of her what do you think she's five to one to win the tournament which is probably the right price but it's hard to trust anybody and at these odds See, you have, I don't to, you have to lay a ton of juice of the time under i don't know these circumstances coming off a big tournament knowing that everyone's about to go over to the americas next um you know. Well, it's a good chance for her to maybe grab some points after a disappointing Wimbledon, but I'm staying as far away from Sebastian well, as possible. Well, she's not in like the desperate need of points like uh, like Siegmund is. Like Siegmund can use the points. I mean, Siegmund does well here. I mean, her ranking's going to go up, you know, probably 30, 40 spots. You know, I mean, she's so far down. Savasova, mm-hmm. uh, not as much. She's she's been doing pretty well. She's not. This isn't as necessary for her. Krejcikova, a big favorite over Roos. I don't think that I have any opinion about that. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I might actually sprinkle a little bit on Roos. Oh, now the price isn't any good. Anyway. Um, all right, oh, Sandra, have, I, have, Russ. I have Cooter playing Roos on mine. I have Cooter Matova on mine. Um, well, that's a, di- that? that's a different Roos. Different Roos. Oh. So we have Roos and Roos. Oh, maybe I, okay. I pronounce an answer right. Yeah, yeah, there you I'm go. <laughs> Kudermatova is a big now. favorite over Russ or Rus again. We apologize. All right. All right. If, I'm going to be honest, guys. If, if you are from any of these countries or have speak these languages or, or happen just to know how to say any of these names, we would love as much help as we can get. Be sure to reach out to us and slip into the DMs there at, at @networthpod. I will take as much help as, as I can get. Um, and the last match I've got a line here, Sir Stia um, playing someone named Christian as a big favorite. I got nothing there. Anything to say from you? Nope. I say we move on to the next one. Let's jump into Lusain. A little better field here, but again, a smaller field. So, you know, we'll go top half, bottom half. Uh, gorgeous. Bashinsky, Teichman, Korsbach, Cornet, um, Vickley, Seva, and Daria Gavrilova are the biggest names in the first half here. What do you think, Spread? Who comes out of the top half of this tournament to make the final? <sighs> I mean, Gorgas is by far the most talented player here, right? Yeah, but this ain't her surface. It's not. Yeah, her so. whole break on clay again, to go back to that reference point, is you know a little less than 100. So, so do you yeah. have in front of you who has the highest whole break? Oh, wow, the qualifiers have been placed since I filled this out. This is nice. Um, let me hit refresh and see if that, that is the same. Oh, I'm going to switch my tournament a little bit. I didn't know I got Potapova in the top half now. That's interesting. That is a, a fascinating change. Um, but when I was looking at this half, and, you know, again, Potapova, no, on Potapova's here, I was looking at Teichman. She's had a great oh, yeah, run right. on clay here. Um, looking at her odds, let me just double check to make sure I have the right number. She's 25 to 1 to win this tournament. And. You know, has really exceeded on clay as a hold break again. You know, a 
close to 110, actually a little above 110. And if I look back at her season this year, she won an event in Prague on clay. Um, she made the semifinals in a lower event on clay. She won She won another lower level event on clay. Um, she's had just an incredible season on the dirt. So to get a chance to take her to 25 to 1 in a field that, um, you know, again, I got to reevaluate things maybe a little bit for Potapova here, but I, I don't know. I'm not worried even actually about Potapova. I'm all in on Teichman at 25 to 1. What do you think? Uh, I think that you. this is another tournament where you chose players with very, very tough draws here. Real quick, I'm just checking to see if they threw a Potapova line in on five dimes since they placed her, but they have not. She doesn't have an outright number. But uh, moving back to Teichman, yeah, I think Basinski, you know, uh, you went over the numbers with me in the in the show prep, but that she has better numbers. But I think that, uh, you know, her country woman could give her uh, some problems here, and she might be a little more popular. It would be interesting to see who actually has the – crowd support in that one as they're both in their home country. Uh, I think Manella can always be tough on clay. Uh, Potapova, I think, is another landmine they just threw in there. Um, court patch is okay on clay. Um, I'm not really too worried about Jeannie. Are, are you Are you handicapping Jeannie for anything in this tournament? You mean the Instagram model? Yeah. She's playing tennis again? Yeah, she's in this tournament. Oh, good for she's her. She's a no. seed. No, I'm not going anywhere. Come on. Uh, you know, Did she win the first round against Korpach? She seems like a perfectly nice person, but uh, what do you do with her? She barely even plays tennis. We haven't seen her. I know she doesn't play course. She doesn't beat course batch in the first round. Um, you know, Jeannie Bouchard. Do you have a number on that for the when they play each other? Um, bu- 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 let me see if I can find. Are you looking for the odds or just the whole break stuff? Uh, just the odds of when they play each other. Is she favored? Let me see if I have a number for that. I would hope I do. Uh, I'm looking at Bovada right now. There we go. Course batch a small favorite at minus 135. Okay. I mean, looking at their historical numbers, they're actually pretty close. But That's about right. Uh, how do you trust Jeannie Bouchard? We haven't seen her even play tennis. Like, What do you do with that? Well, the thing is, in Korpash, I think she's got a player where if she is playing her best, she could win. Um I think that's why it's a close. It's a, that, that number seems about right. I'd say Corpot should be a slight favorite here, just off form and, and actually being on the court, you know, uh, you know the rust factor. What do you expect out of Cornet this tournament here? This uh, seems like Nothing. it could be set up for her. Really? I actually, I think her first match against Trevisan is going to be tough. Um, Trevisan had a nice run on clay so far this year. The hold break mm-hmm. numbers between the two are very similar. Um, we'll get into that in the first round matches. Hopefully we have a number there, but... I don't think that's going to be an easy match. You know, her next match, whoever wins that's not going to have too much trouble. Um, the draw opens up nicely for her, and I wish I could trust her. But uh, when's the last time we saw Alizé Cornette play good tennis? No, she's not bad, and I just think she's got a very favorable draw. And I think that we can reasonably assume that she would go for this tournament. I think this is, uh, you know, the 250 or 280 that they get here uh, would really help out her ranking. Uh, I don't really see her looking ahead. I think that she'll be uh, all in on this tournament. So that was one of the reasons that her name stood out to me. All right, little trivia here. When is the last time Alizé Cornet won more than three matches at one tournament? Uh, 2017. 2018 in Gestad. Um, <laughs> on play, nonetheless. But it's okay. been a long time since yeah. we've seen her, seen her play some great tennis. So I'm but not too gonna, worried about she's her. She's going to get a nice little run here, you know. She if, is. I, if you were her she, promoter and you wanted to, you know, kind of build her back up, this would be kind of a, a way that you would make her try and look good with uh, Trevisan and then the winning of Paolini versus uh, Sugnau. I don't know how to pronounce her name, but 
And even then, Gavrilova, if she's there, doesn't really worries me much. Although I don't know if she'll be there. I think I I prefer uh, Vickley and Seva there. Uh, yeah, it's to be her third round opponent. The draw opens up nicely for her, but again, you know, we haven't seen her play good tennis in a long time. So, how do you feel good about that at all? Yeah, good point. Now that I'm looking at this more, I'm kind of liking Vickley and Seva's uh, number here. What did they put her at? She's at. 20 to 1 to win the tournament. What's her hold break numbers? Let me pull up Vike's numbers. This is definitely not her best surface. Um, you know, I'm seeing a number well under 100, you know, less, okay. less than 95. So I'm so. going to stay away from that 20 to 1 then. Yeah, I would. We'll stay so away. All let's right. jump into the bottom half then. Um, you know, flipping through some of the names here. Tatana Maria's got a seed, and isn't that nice? Uh, Fiona Farah yeah. had a, ni- <laughs> shows had a nice... You, shows you the level of play that we have this weekend. Not only does she have a seed, she's the fifth seed. Oh, my gosh. Buzarnescu. I mean, unbelievable. Buzarnescu, Kozlova, um, Bernardo Perez in here, and Caroline Garcia, the ever-mercurial French talent. What do you think about the bottom half of this draw? Who do you have coming out of your bracket? And do you see any value at all in the outright market here? All right. I'm not really playing much this week. I'm doing one outright per tournament, and unless you can talk me into another one. But uh, <laughs> this was my outright here, and I am going to take uh, Katarina Kozlova at 14 to 1. I think she does pretty well on clay. I like the way the bracket opens up for her, and she was the name that I went ahead and circled, and I have her winning the tournament. Excellent. Um, I was looking at Bernarda Parrish. She's 14-1 to 1 to win the tournament. That's probably just about right. I'm curious to see what Caroline Garcia does. You know, If there was ever a week for her to play some good tennis, this would be it. Coming off just a real big letdown again at Wimbledon. Um, Buzarnescu will be interesting to see. I hope we get to see Buzarnescu Farrow there in the second round. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, Who would you favor if they played there? It would depend on how I see the first match. Farrow's been a little better form on clay, but again, we're making the switch. Uh, Buzarnescu in general is the more talented player, um, so I probably guess I'd make Buzarnescu a favorite. Yeah, at first I was thinking when I was filling out the draw, because I have them both advancing, that I was going to move Farrow, but I started actually thinking of the path to victory, and it seems that if Buzarnescu plays reasonably close to her best tennis, she should win there. I think she's got a lot more variety than Farrow, and she's not going to be... Uh, thrown off by the clay by some of Pharaoh's like some of Pharaoh's other earlier round opponents when we were taking advantage of her earlier in the clay season. Oh, I just saw a number on Potapova. Potapova's fourteen to one at Bovada right oh, now. Oh, that's no good. All right. Yeah, that's no good. I, so was, hoping, I was thinking like if it was twenty eight to one or higher, I, you, I, you could have got me on the third uh got me on the third. if it was you know, more than thirty to one I would have jumped in there, even with the bad numbers notwithstanding. But no, fourteen to one, that's underpriced. So I'm going to take Teichman 25 to 1, and apologies. Any outrights from you here? Yeah, Kozlova at 14 to 1. All right, let's look at some first-round matchups quickly. Bernardo Pera, favorite over uh, Gadamanticone. Makes sense to me. Farrow. Farrow, even up with Mona Barthel. That's kind of interesting. Let me pull up Barthel's numbers here. I like Farrow on that here. one. If you're going right. to make a first-round bet, that's kind of the one that jumped out to me. Yeah, I guess the hold break numbers are pretty similar over the last two years. but That must be it. Pharaoh's had a, a, a much better season, I think, so I'm yeah. going to dig into that one. I think you're right. I think Pharaoh might be the play. Um, Paolini is, for some reason, minus 950. I don't know who Sugnau is, but she That's must be why. stabbed. Sugnau doesn't even do well on ITF. Mandy Manella, plus 185 against Potapova. That seems kind of aggressive. What do you think? She's plus 185, really? Yeah, plus uh, 185, plus three and a half games. I think Potapova's going to win that, but that might be the one where the price dictates you play it. I mean, it's definitely 
Manila or no play there. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna I think about know. that one some yeah, more. I'm not ready to pull the trigger on that one. And nope. we don't have much time. I think this tournament starts in like eight hours. Yeah, something like that. So hopefully we get this out. Yeah. Gavrilova, big favorite over Albin. That makes sense. Kozlova, big favorite over Grichevia. That makes sense. Um, Lautner, a big dog to Garcia. Let me take a look at Lautner's clay numbers because she was quite a darling. Oh, I'm going to bet that. Um, Lautner's whole break on clay since 2018, actually 4% better than Garcia's. And Lautner is plus 265, plus oh, you already five the bottom games. Okay. Yeah. Um, just going I, by. I, saw, I thought that too, but gosh, she's... Caro so mercurial. I'm just staying away from her matches right now. But yeah, that's, Lautner. That's no a crazy there, price. Right? Yeah, that's a crazy price. I'm going to hit Lautner. I think I'll sprinkle the money line. And um, plus five games is actually minus 130. I'll pass on that and look for a cheaper four and a half. Uh, Jeannie Bouchard, a small dog to course batch. I don't know how you handicap that match. Um, we just haven't seen enough tennis from Jeannie Bouchard to know what she can do. Yeah, that's one of the few things we haven't seen enough of. Gorgeous minus nine fifty over someone named Walter uh, Bashinsky. A, a sm- this is interesting. I'm actually shocked by this. Bashinsky is a small favorite over Teichman. I'm going to bet Teichman at that number. Um, I don't think that that's really even close. That's the wrong person favorite in my opinion. Yeah, that's funny. I love you using WWF there. Mean Gene would be proud. Um, but it, you know, until you told me the numbers, you know, and I filled out the bracket. Fairly quickly, you know, I had my Wimbledon hangover. Boy, that Federer match, you know, still, I really thought he was going to get it at 8-7. So I didn't jump in <laughs> as early as I thought, you know, speaking of the Swiss. But, um, you know, just filling it out and kind of going just off gut feel and not really doing a lot of research on every match. I had Basinski to win that. So I, I think that, you know, it might not just be me. I think a lot of us maybe have a better idea of what, where we rate Basinski than what her numbers are, are showing to us. Cornea, big favorite over Trevisan. I actually said I was going to maybe look at Trevisan, but check, double checking the numbers, that was a mistake. Um, Cornea has a fantastic hold break these last two years on clay and deserves to be yeah. minus 315. Um, the next match, Connie Perrin is uh, plus 200 and plus four games against Vikely Seva. And like I mentioned, Vikely Seva does not have good numbers on clay. Now, Connie Perrin also doesn't have great numbers, but at the very least, she's at 96, and I'm looking at about a 92 for Vike there. So I can't justify Perrin being such a big dog. I'm not sure I'll take the plus four games. I feel like that one's just a money line sprinkle. Either she What's wins your money or, or probably there? smoke. 200? Yeah, that's worth a shot. You got the home crowd. You have way less chance of her, you know, we talk about capping motivation. You know, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, not really too worry much about the Swiss player's motivation here. So I think you can count on her giving it her all. Um, whereas, you know, on the opposite side, if Vicklin Seva gets down 4-1, 5-1 in the first, is she uh, already thinking about coming over here to the Americas? Uh, so, you know, Perrin might be worth a look there. Buzarnescu, a decent favorite, minus 180 over Gale. Actually, Buzarnescu at minus 180 might be a decent parlay piece. Yeah, that's, think? that's short. That's short. She should be higher. I think that's the the home. I agree. If, and if, if it's any, any other country in Europe, that's a minus 240. And the last line I have here is Parmentier, minus 170 over Samsonova. Sure, I'm that sounds fine. I'm not touching that, man. I can't get Parmentier right. No. I did. She's, again, another older player who used to be very good and. You know, we don't necessarily see a lot from her, but that's all the first-round matches I've got. Any other thoughts on Lusain, on Bucharest, anything else before we wrap it up? Uh, yeah, tread carefully this week. Um, you know, I'll probably throw some plays out after the first round, and, you know, when we see these players and kind of give an idea of where their heads are at, you know, maybe dig into some interviews. You know, I love watching those silly things the WTA puts out. 
and uh, maybe we can make a profitable week here after all. But other than that, you know, I'd say tread lightly, um, save whatever bankroll hopefully that you had accumulated during Wimbledon, and get ready for this hardcore season over in the Americas. Well, thank you for listening. It's such a pleasure you guys spend the time to listen to us talk about tennis every week. We have a lot of fun doing it, and we really appreciate all your thoughts and comments. You know, every one of you guys who reaches out to us, you know, again, not to repeat myself, but we do. We really appreciate that stuff. So please give us a follow at NetworthPod. We'd love a rating and review, and be sure you subscribe to the podcast. Have a great week. Good luck in all your wagers.